0: Well, at the beginning of this year, we started out with this study of the life of Jesus out of the gospel of John that we've been calling the word. And we've been calling it the word simply because that's what John calls Jesus in the very first verse of the book. He comes right out of the gate and he says, in the beginning was the word. And by the word, he's talking about Christ. And he says, the word was with God and the word. And this is a very significant point was God. He's saying, listen, I want to tell you something about this Jesus right out of the gate. And that is that he is God. He's not like anyone else. There's none like him in all the universe. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, that is Jesus, was God. But then he goes on a few verses later, and he says, and the Word, that is Jesus, and that is God, became flesh. So... He's the God-man, and He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, John says. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And what we've been doing week by week in our personal worship, week by week in our corporate gatherings for worship, and then week by week as well in our community groups, is coming alongside John, opening up this gospel message, and by the power of the Spirit, beholding His glory as well, and hopefully being transformed by His glory. That's the way it works, from glory glory. To glory, And today, nine months and 33 messages later, we have finally come to the end, which is a little bit surprising, but not because we've come to the end. Listen, every book has a last page. What's surprising to me, at least, is that this is the last page and not last week, which was John chapter 20. And I say that because if you were with us last week, we looked at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which means, by the way, that by the time we got to chapter 20 last week, the resurrection, we had seen the God-made man who came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ to live the perfect life that God requires of absolutely every single one of us for us and in our place, and then who absorbed into his perfectly righteous soul all of our darkness, all of our blackness, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, past, present, and future, and offered his perfect blood as a sacrifice to make things right between us and God. We had seen him be buried. And then last week we got together, and because he's God, guys, and the grave cannot hold him. We saw that on the third day he rose again from the dead. Then he went and appeared to his disciples. You'll recall he breathed out the Spirit upon his disciples, if you remember. He even kind of commissioned his disciples. He said, look, as the Father has sent me into the world, guess what I'm now going to do with you guys? I'm sending you guys out into the world. And then John wrapped up not just that chapter, but really the whole book by giving us the purpose statement for the entire book at the end of John chapter 20, where he says this, verse 30, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs, meaning in addition, to the great sign of His resurrection in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Everything I've said thus far, He's saying, I've written for this reason. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name, period, end of sentence, end of paragraph, and surely also the end of the book until you turn the page. And you realize, no, it's not over yet. There's one more chapter. And here's why. Because Jesus has one more person to deal with, and through him, he can then deal with us. And he has one last lesson to teach. And so the person that he's going to deal with today is Peter. Keep your eyes on Peter, and the lesson that he's going to teach to Peter, and he's going to teach to the rest of the disciples who were there, and then he's going to teach to every one of the rest of us because it applies, is that because of the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ can overcome even our most monumental failures with his monumental grace. And he does it, by the way, in such a way as to not just bring forgiveness to us, but to bring restoration to us as to not just make us clean, but to make us useful. In other words, the Lord doesn't come to us and say, look, here's the deal, I can forgive you of that, whatever that is, and you know what that is for you. But as a result of that, even though I can forgive you of it, I can't use you. Instead, what he does is he just takes all the jumbled pieces of our wrecked life as a result of that. And as the master carpenter... He nails them all together. He sands them, and out of them He creates a platform on which He then places you and says, okay, I'm going to even take this, and I'm going to redeem this, and I'm going to use this as a means by which to make you more useful. Jesus overcomes even our greatest failures by His even greater grace. And here's what else he does. In doing this, he takes all the emblems of our failures and he turns them into emblems of his forgiveness. He takes all of the emblems of our great weakness and in and of ourselves, that's what we are. And he makes them reminders and emblems of his great strength. We pick up our study today in John chapter 21 beginning in verse 1, where we read this. John says that after this, meaning after Jesus, the God-man, has lived and died to defeat our sin, and He's risen from the dead to defeat death for us as well. And after He's met with His disciples twice in Jerusalem, He's breathed out the Spirit, He's commissioned them. Remember all that? Okay, after all of that, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples, but this time by the Sea of Tiberias, which is really just the Sea of Galilee. Tiberias was a city, still is, on the Sea of Galilee. And so sometimes it was referred to as, well, the Sea of Tiberias. If you go to Israel with us next year, for example, you will stay in a hotel on the Sea of Galilee in the city of Tiberias. And you'll get in a boat and go out on this, really, what is a big lake. So after Jesus, the God-man, has lived and died to defeat our sin and risen from the dead to defeat our death, has appeared to his guys... Twice in Jerusalem, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples, but this time by the Sea of Tiberias, by the Sea of Galilee, and he revealed himself to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And notice this language, in this way. What is John saying? He's saying, pay attention to the details. The details matter. Christ has sovereignly constructed these details in such a way that John is going, hey, don't miss this. It's really, really big. And then John gives us a list of all the disciples to whom Jesus reveals himself, again, in Galilee by the, well, sea, and who is number one on the list? Simon Peter. Now, why is that? Well, I think, first of all, because Simon Peter is the guy that he's going to use as the object lesson for all the rest of us today. That's true, but I think it's also true because Simon Peter is always the first guy on the list. Why? Why? He is arguably the preeminent disciple and apostle of Christ. Whenever a list appears, he's first on the list. Whenever one of the guys speaks up, guess who speaks for the group? Peter. Whenever somebody other than Jesus takes leadership of the group, and we'll see it even even again today in this story, guess who the guy is that's taking leadership? Peter. Peter. Peter is the one who said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, to which Jesus replied, yeah, upon that rock, I will build my church. Peter, guys, is and was an amazing, amazing guy and an amazing failure. He went big on everything he did. Good and evil. And his most notorious, his most public... His most humiliating, his greatest failure came on the night that Jesus was betrayed. We studied all this, but as you'll recall, they're in the upper room. And Jesus speaks of his impending betrayal. And what does Peter do? He gets all puffed up in his own strength, and he says, Look, Lord, I don't know what the rest of these guys are going to do, but when adversity comes, you can count on me. I don't know about these guys, but here's the deal. Here's what's true of me, and I know this to be true. I will go to prison with you if that's what it takes. I will lay down my life with you if that's what it takes. Even if it costs me my life, you can count me in. I will not deny you. I will not abandon you. I will not run for you. And then what happens? Well, a few hours later in the Garden of Gethsemane, the soldiers show up with the Jewish religious authorities to arrest Jesus, and Peter's like running over the rest of the guys to get out of there. But then not only that, he follows it up by denying Jesus publicly, not once, not twice, but three times. You'll recall the story. He follows like from a distance. He's kind of hiding out, you know, in the bushes or trees, I guess. And he's following this great band of soldiers that are taking Jesus with the Jewish religious leaders to the home of the high priest. And through a mutual friend of the high priest, he gains access into the outer courtyard where the trial of Christ is going on. And as he's coming in, he's asked, hey, you know, you look kind of familiar. Didn't I see you in the garden and you're one of his... No. A little while after that, hey, you know what, you're Galilean, aren't you? Aren't you one of his... No. It's a cold night, okay? So there's a charcoal fire burning in the middle of the courtyard. He makes his way to the charcoal fire because, you know, he's cold. And so he's warming himself by the charcoal fire. Aren't you one of the Galileans? Aren't you with Jesus? Answer, no. And what happened? Because Jesus told him this would happen. What happens is the rooster crows. Now, I just want to pause, back up for a second. What time of day does a rooster, generally speaking, crow? Like, a rooster is famous for crowing when? Just say it. Yeah, like at the breaking of day. At The breaking of day. Day is breaking. They will shortly hereafter take Jesus, as you recall, early in the morning to Pilate. Peter's warming himself by the charcoal fire. Aren't you with... No. And the rooster crows. And then what happens? Let me read it to you. Luke tells us, Luke 22, verse 60. He says, immediately, while Peter was still speaking, he's still uttering his denial. He's in the middle of it. He's probably at the word, no. The rooster crowed. And the Lord, who's right there. Who's right there. Peter's not off in some other aspect of the, you know, some other place in the city. The Lord is right there. It says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me, well, not once, not twice, but three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Why? Because he had monumentally failed the Lord, but see, now Jesus has died and has risen, has appeared to them physically, has said, put your fingers into the spots of the nails. Go ahead and touch my side. Go ahead. No, really, I'm real. I'm not a ghost. And what is Peter's question? Because the question isn't, Lord, can you forgive me for this? I'm sure that's part of it. But it's bigger than that. It's, can you not only forgive me for this, but somehow still use even me. So John says that after this, meaning after Jesus the God-man has lived and died to defeat our sin and risen from the dead to defeat death for us as well, after He's appeared to these guys twice in Jerusalem, Jesus revealed Himself again to the, his, to the disciples, but this time by the Sea of Tiberius, the Sea of Galilee, and He revealed Himself to them in this very particular way. Simon Peter... Thomas called the twin Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, who are James and John, who writes this account, and two others of his disciples, so seven in total, were all together there in Galilee. And Simon Peter, who again is kind of the leader guy, does what? He leads. He says, guys, I'm going to go fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And, you know, I mean, on the one hand, this is a perfectly kind of understandable, reasonable statement. These guys, when Jesus found them, these guys, when Jesus called them to follow him, were professional fishermen. And now they're back home. They got a little time on their hands. So it's perfectly understandable for them to kind of go, yeah, you know what, we're going to go fishing. But here's the problem. When Jesus said, follow me, he then followed up that statement and said, and I will make you fishers, and not for fish, guys. I'm going to make you fishers of men, but they instead go fishing for fish. And I think part of the reason why is because Peter doesn't know if he qualifies anymore as a fisher of men. I mean, maybe the Lord's grace is big enough to forgive him, but can it redeem this mess? Can it actually construct something out of it? Can can he still be useful to him? So Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. They say, all right, well, we're going to go with you because I think they're struggling with the same question. Look, they might have not publicly denied Jesus three times as famously as Peter, but they did run from him. They did abandon him just like Peter did. They did deny him, no doubt. So the whole of them went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing, which means that not only is Peter a failure as a follower of Jesus and a fisher of men, but he's now even a failure as a fisherman of, well, even fish. He can't even catch that. And then John says, just as the day was breaking. Now, why is that significant? Because he says that Jesus is going to appear in a very particular way. When did Peter deny Christ for the third time? Because the rooster tips you off. Just as the day was breaking. What was the sound echoing in his ears as soon as he denied Jesus for the third time? See, I think it's the same sound that they're hearing out on that boat. We're going to read in a minute that they're about 100 yards offshore, offshore of the Sea of Galilee, which is littered with little towns and little villages and little farms and people who didn't have publics to go down and buy, you know, carefully wrapped chicken. They had chickens. It's quiet. There's no traffic. There are no airplanes. There's no radio. They don't have a boom box. You know, it's They don't have earbuds in. You can hear the frog croaking on the shore. More than that, it's like a natural amphitheater in this place. It's surrounded on either side by mountains. So they're fishing, and the day is breaking. And all of a sudden, there's a rooster crowing. And then maybe another rooster. Then maybe another rooster. And it gets kind of awkward in the boat. And here's why. Because what do you think this reminded Peter of? And oh, not just Peter, every man with him. Just as the day was breaking, John says, and the roosters along the shoreline were crowing, where is Jesus? He's right there on the shore. And yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus, and Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? Which is a statement dripping in irony, since he had called them to fish for men. And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Well, then cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Which is almost insulting. These guys are professional fishermen. They grew up fishing this Sea of Galilee, this big lake. They knew when to fish. They knew where to fish. They knew how to fish. This is what they knew. This is what they did. And in their wisdom and strength, they had fished all night long and caught exactly nothing. So why is throwing the net six feet to the right over an area that they've probably just drifted over and already fished anyway going to make any difference? But they're so broken. that they do it. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Okay. So they cast it on the right side of the boat, and now, and the wisdom and strength of Jesus, who, by the way, knows where the fish are, (laughs) and not just the ones in the sea, but the ones He sends us out to catch. and not to kill and eat, but to to lead them to life, eternal life. It says, and now they were not able to haul it in, this net of fish, because of the quantity of fish. And then John says that the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John himself, had this aha moment, and he said to Peter, it is the Lord. Only he could do this. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. What it says is that he was naked. That's the meaning of the word. Uh, so he's naked, he's out in the boat, he's working. That's uh, kind of odd to us, I guess, but he's with the guys, and know, maybe it was a little warm or something. But it's interesting, you know, because it makes you think of Adam. He's in the Garden of Eden. And what is the first thing he realizes when he sins? It is that he is naked. And not just naked, but ashamed. Not just naked, but exposed, you see. And so knowing that the Lord is coming, because he comes every day, he fabricates clothes for himself. What does Peter do? It says, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. For he was stripped for work. But here's the difference. Adam then hid in the bushes. Peter dives over the side of the boat and swims to Jesus, which tells me something, I think, about maybe that look that he got over the charcoal fire. He's hopeful. And he has this burning question, Lord, can you not only forgive me, but can you make something of this mess? Can you, can you use me, notwithstanding even this? So Peter threw himself into the sea. He swam to shore. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards out. So there it is. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire. Wow. A charcoal fire in place with breakfast. Fish laid out on it and bread. So again, Jesus appears at dawn. When did Peter deny Jesus a third time? I think we've covered this. Jesus appears when the roosters are crowing, and again, that's what he heard on that night. Peter gets out of the Sea of Galilee, cool, wet, and what does he get to warm himself by? A charcoal fire, the same thing he was warming himself by when he denied the Lord. And then it gets even better because John then tells us in verse 15 that when they had finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I think what he's saying is, do you love me? Do you claim, Peter, to love me more than the rest of these guys love me? And I don't think the answer that he gives is, yes, I do. He's broken of that. What he does in each one of these answers is, is he appeals to the Lord's knowledge. And I think what he says in a sense is, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, and you know how much I love you. You know how much they love you. Just just know that I do. It's a different guy. His strength has failed him. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, Well, then I forgive you, but I can't use you in ministry. I'm sorry. This was too big a deal. It was way too public. This is notorious. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. What kind of a person feeds lambs? I mean, just occupationally a shepherd. Now, within the context of the church, what's a shepherd? A pastor? An elder? Get the message? So then Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep, then be a shepherd for my people. Be a pastor, be a leader, be everything that I've called you to be. And then Jesus said to him the third time. Now, how many times did Peter deny the Lord? It's pretty famous. Three. And in doing so, he called into question his ability to serve Christ as a pastor, as a leader, as a shepherd. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. He was broken. Because Jesus said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Because not only is my grace a forgiving grace, it's a restoring grace. It not only makes clean, it makes useful. Wow. So replay it. Jesus appears at dawn. Peter denied Jesus at dawn. The roosters are crowing up. That's what he heard. Charcoal fire when he comes on shore. It's what he was standing by, three denials, three confessions of love that Christ requires of him. And you want to kind of go, man, he is really rubbing his face in this. Well, I guess. But to what end? What he's teaching him is that Jesus overcomes even our most monumental failures by his monumental grace. And he does it in a way that not only brings forgiveness, but restoration, not only cleanliness, if you will, cleansing, but usefulness. And also, he does it in a way that takes the emblems of our failures and turns them into emblems of our forgiveness, that takes all of those things that remind us of our weakness in and of ourselves and transforms them into things that reminds us of his great and overcoming strength. I mean, think about Peter's life from this moment forward. At the breaking of every day, at the hearing of the sound of every rooster's cry, every time he catches a whiff or warms himself by or eats his breakfast that's cooked upon a charcoal fire, Peter is not just going to be reminded of his failure but of his forgiveness, not just of his weakness, but of Christ's great strength. It's magnificent. It's fascinating. When you go to Jerusalem today, you can go to the house of the high priest. So they know where this is. You can actually walk up these, these ancient steps that the Lord would have walked up to get there. And in the alleged, at least, or the supposed courtyard of where it may have been in this particular location, there is a brass rooster. And I think that if Peter was to visit that today, that he would weep. But not tears of sorrow. Tears of joy. So you've got to take that idea, and you need to personalize it, you know? You need to go, okay, here's my big thing, <laughs> and all the emblems thereof. Maybe your big thing is Pornography. Honestly, it is for a lot of folks, including a lot of us. And your rooster's crow, all right, that's like the adult bookstore that you have to drive by every day to get home. And it beckons. It's a reminder, isn't it? A reminder of failure, a reminder of weakness. Have you repented of your sin? To repent means to turn away from. It doesn't mean, oh, I am so sorry. You know, and I'm particularly sorry I got caught. That really bums me. Please forgive me, but I'm going to do it again tomorrow. That's not it. It means I find Christ sweeter than this. And I know in my strength I can't resist. But in His strength, with the help of His people that He gives to strengthen us, I can become an overcomer See, if that's you, then that rooster's crow is not just a reminder of your failure and weakness, it's a reminder of his forgiveness and strength. It's pretty cool. Maybe as you look at your life, you know, there's divorce, and that's your great failure. That's your biggie. And every wedding you go to and every happily married couple you see, curse them, is your rooster's crow. It's the reminder of your great failure and of what you lost and what you don't have and of what you may never get and all of that mess. And of every way that you were weak, have you turned from it? Have you given it to the Lord? Have you realized that each one of those roosters crow can remind you not just of your failure, but your forgiveness, not just of your weakness, but of His Strength, maybe it's homosexuality, and every rainbow sticker you see is your rooster's crow. See, it can be a reminder not just of failure but forgiveness, not just of weakness but of strength. Maybe it's abortion, and every sticker you see and every billboard you see that reminds you that life begins at conception is like a dagger in your heart. That is a tender topic. Bring that to the Lord that it might then also be a reminder of His forgiveness, of His restoring grace, not just of your weakness, but of His strength. Maybe it's materialism, and you keep getting in the mail these stupid giving envelopes that the church sends you each month. Good grief, you know, the audacity. If you had that thought, are you materialistic? Do you worship the Lord with your wealth the way He calls you to? Repent of your sin and let those things become a source of rejo- rejoicing for you, reminding you of forgiveness, of, of the fact that your security is in the Lord, of, of all that you have in Him, of the, of the truth that He is your great treasure, lived out by the way that you frankly use them. Not just your weakness, but then his overcoming strength. Jesus here is not just forgiving Peter. Jesus very significantly is restoring Peter. He recreates his crime scene with great detail in order to say, Peter, I know all about your monumental failure, and now I want you, I want all the rest of these guys, and I want everyone who reads and studies this story to know all about my monumental grace purchased by my life, death, burial, and resurrection, everything that preceded chapter 21. It's beautiful. verse 17 Jesus said to Peter the third time Simon son of John do you love me and Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time do you love me and he said to him lord you know everything you know you know that i love you and jesus said to him all right feed my sheep and then he says something else which is kind of ominous honestly Listen to this. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands like this. And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. In case we missed it, John tells us that that this Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. He's telling him in advance, you're going to die, and it's going to be by crucifixion. But what else is he saying with that statement? He's saying, hey, Peter, remember that night that you failed me and the whole deal, and you were scared because your life was on the line? I mean, like if he identified with the Lord, he might have been crucified next to him. You know, it would have been Peter, Jesus, and then maybe one or two other thieves. It would have been four crosses instead of three. Who knows? I mean, it was very intimidating. He knew what was on the line. Remember then, and then you deny me in the three times, and we just worked through all that. Okay, a day is coming when you will be asked to identify identify with or deny me again. And again, your life will be on the line. And this time, Peter you'll pass the test and here's why i think i mean you know i wasn't there i don't have it on video but i'm guessing on that day he woke up at the break of dawn just a guess his neighbors chickens were you know his rooster was screaming and and that woke him up And he came out in whatever house he happened to be in, and maybe they were cooking breakfast on a charcoal fire, or it was cold and he warmed himself. See how this works? And he was reminded again and then again and then again. Not just of his failure, but of his forgiveness. Not just of his weakness. By his weakness, he will run from the cross but of Christ's great and overcoming strength, by which he laid down his life to do what? To glorify God. This Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. What does that tell you of the value of the glory of God? It says that it is of greater value than Peter's life, my life, or your life. Frankly, crucifixion was an honor. And honor and here's the deal that same grace, that same strength, that same restoration, that same oh good grief Lord maybe maybe you can forgive me like that's hard enough to believe isn't it sometimes but but not just forgive use me all of that because of Christ's life death, burial, and resurrection is just as available to me and you as it was to Peter. It's ours. It's his gift. We need only to receive it and claim it by faith.